judgment is any better than anybody else's? Probably not. But uh, just appreciate so much those who, who have led us, the songs that we've sung, the comments at the table, the prayer that's been led. And I hope I can't, I hope I don't distract from that in some way, diminish that in some way. Just appreciate everybody being here and taking some time, taking a little time on the first day of the week to gather together, take a few minutes to commune with the Lord in the Lord's Supper, prepare our minds and our attitudes for the coming week and uh, the challenges that uh, it will bring. So just appreciate everyone being here today. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going to talk a little bit about one portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount sort of uh, provides the foundation for the teaching of the New Testament, especially as our, our books are arranged, the books are arranged in our New Testaments. Matthew, the first gospel, very first book of the New Testament, chapters 5, 6, and 7, right at the beginning of the book of Matthew. And so we sort of lay the foundation for the teaching of Christ and the teaching of the gospel here in the very beginning. One of the keys, I think, to the Sermon on the Mount is found here in chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus says, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. That uh, must have shocked the hearers. How, how can our righteousness, we're just regular people, average people, how can our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Those who are meticulous, just... Uh, in detail, keeping uh, the requirements of, uh, of Judaism. And so, how, how could our righteousness surpass or exceed theirs? Well, Jesus, of course, condemns the Pharisees of His day in pretty strong language. Uh, their attitude of heart was not what it should be. They looked good on the outside and going through the rituals and the formalities of Judaism, but their heart was corrupt. And so, our righteousness might exceed theirs or surpass theirs as we serve God from the heart, doing the right things, of course, but the right things in the right way with the right heart. So sometimes I say, and others have said it as well, of course, we're serving from the inside out, from the heart outward. And so in that way, our righteousness might exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. That's that's where we need to begin. And then as the Sermon on the Mount proceeds, Jesus contrasts His teaching with various other teachings that have been circulated. He addresses things like anger and lust and divorce and the performance of one's vows, uh, retaliation and things like that. And then we get down to verse 43. And so this is going to be our passage for today. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43 where Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends His reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we're going to talk about love today. We'll talk about specifically loving our enemies. 
and uh, trying to apply in the best way possible Jesus' teaching in this place. If you watch the news at all, you're aware that there's a significant amount of hate in our world. There's a lot of hate in our world. I don't know that there's any more hate now than there used to be. Maybe there is. Maybe I'm just more aware of it now than I was in my youth. I'm sure there was a lot of hate in my youth in the 1960s and 70s. I'm sure there was plenty of hate to go around. But it just seems like the hatred these days is more intense than it was at one time. Hate is an intense hostility, an aversion usually deriving from fear or anger or a sense of injury, an extreme dislike or antipathy. In fact, I remember when I was growing up, we were discouraged from saying, well, I hate that. Uh, It's just too strong a word. Now we can say, I don't like that or something like that. But we were discouraged from hating just about everything or anything. It just seems like hatred prevails in our world today. At least maybe I'm more sensitive to it. I don't know. But when someone spends hours planning and executing the massacre of others because of their race, there's hatred in his heart. Can we all agree with that? (laughs) Someone spends hours, hours planning and then carrying out the execution, the massacre, the just the indiscriminate killing of others because of their race. He hates his victims. But I would say that hatred is not the exclusive property of any one race or ethnicity or nationality. It's not the exclusive property of any one political party or religion. There's plenty of it across the spectrum. Be found in just about every group of people everywhere, uh, uh, really uh, all over the globe even in the Lord's church from time to time, you'll find people uh, having hatred in their heart. You might remember the passage in the book of Titus, chapter 3, as Paul describes our former condition before we became Christians. Paul tells Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. There was a time in our lives, Paul says, when we had hate in our heart. We were hateful and we hated each other. Of course, now we become Christians and things have changed. Hatred produces all sorts of evil actions one toward another, both in word and deed. There are hateful words, of course, and then hateful deeds of all kinds. And hatred makes the world, our nation, our communities a dangerous and unpleasant place. How many of us, if we were going to look for a home and moving into a neighborhood and the real estate agent said, well, you know, the house is pretty nice, but just want to know, want you to know what kind of people live in this neighborhood. This one hates these people. Your neighbor over here hates those people. Your neighbor across the street, he hates other people. We'd probably look for a different community to live in. Hatred makes the world an unpleasant place. It makes the world a dangerous place for us to live in. Where does it come from? 
I guess we can debate that and discuss that, the, the source of hate. But ultimately, it comes from Satan, doesn't it? Ultimately, hatred comes from the devil. If God is love, and if everyone who, is, who loves is born of God, which is what the Scripture says, God is love, and everyone who loves is born of God, then hate is from the devil, and those who hate are children of the devil. The Scriptures condemn hatred. Let's look at a few passages. Turn to the uh, first epistle of John, 1 John. We're going to look at two or three passages from that place. You know, we talked about a moment ago, I mentioned the fact that hatred is sometimes found among the Lord's people in the Lord's church. And you can see that reflected in some of the passages we're going to read here. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause of stumbling in him. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so here in the Lord's church even, there are some who are hating their brothers for what cause? I'm not sure, but, but they hate their brothers. And uh, John says, you're walking in darkness if that's the case. Chapter 3 of 1 John in verse 15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's hatred that often motivates murder. And so you have in you the same motivation that the murderer has in him. That fills your heart. And so in that way, you're, you're like a murderer. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's strong language, isn't it? And yet he's addressing uh, Christians. In chapter 4 and verse 20, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The Bible condemns hatred. And then, of course, it commands its opposite. It commands us to love each other. One passage is the one we read in the very beginning here in Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, Love your uh, neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and be perfect in your love toward others as God is perfect in His love. Love is the chief feature of the gospel, isn't it? I guess if you had to pick one, it would be that. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The Father loves the Son. Chapter 3 and verse 35, He gave His Son in love. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. John 3 and verse 16. Uh, God commends His own love toward us. How does, that, how does that end? God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loves us and gave Himself for us. Galatians 2 and verse 20. And we are commanded to love one another as the Lord loves us. John chapter 3, or John, rather John chapter 13, uh, the new commandment God, Christ gives His disciples is, As I have loved you, you should also love one another. God is love. God loves His Son. In love, God gave His Son. And we are commanded to love one another as He loves us. 
We're to hate certain qualities, no doubt. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13 tells us that we are to hate evil. Proverbs 13 and verse 5, that we are to hate falsehood. In Revelation 2 and verse 6, there the Ephesians hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And remember in Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things the Lord hates. And of course, we would do well to cultivate that same attitude toward these kinds of things. And so, that's Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Seven are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that de devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brethren. And so six things the Lord hates. And so we're called on to hate certain qualities. But this passage, Matthew chapter 5, tells us that we're to love all people, to love all people even your enemies. And so let's spend the rest of our time just a, a, a kind of a, an analysis of the passage, just working through the passage and making some comments along the way. And so first thing Jesus says here is, you heard that it was said. So this is the last in a series of statements like that. And if you go back to Matthew 5 and verse 21, uh, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And then he goes on to comment about that. And so you've heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where, where, where did they hear that? <laughs> love your neighbor and hate, hate your enemy. Where, where did they hear that? Well, they didn't hear it from the law of Moses. And they heard part of that from the law of Moses. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. But it doesn't say, and, and hate your enemy. It really just summarizes the common, natural popular approach to interpersonal relationships. This is just sort of the way human beings act toward each other. We, we love our friends and we love our neighbor, whoever our neighbor is. We love our neighbor, but, but, but we, 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 we don't like our enemies. We hate our enemies. And so that's sort of just human response. It's sort of a, a common, natural approach to interpersonal relationships. You know what Jesus says about that's not good enough? That's not good enough. The common is not good enough. The natural is not good enough. The ordinary human response is not good enough for my disciples. You must, as Peter says, become partakers of the divine nature. And if the divine nature is to love all men, well then you as God's children and as Christ's disciples, we must learn to love all men. No doubt many Jews would take the law to mean love your fellow Israelites, but hate everyone else. <laughs> you know, love your brethren, love your neighbor, your fellow Israelites. But it's okay, those who are not Israelites, you might as well just you can hate them. But it's interesting that Jesus turns that on its head, doesn't he, in Luke chapter 10. You remember Jesus is uh, in a conversation concerning what is the, the, the greatest commandment in the law... And of course, love your neighbor as yourself. You remember the man who's involved in that conversation with Jesus says, well, well who is my neighbor? I, I kind of think he says it a little smugly, don't you? Uh, who, who is my neighbor? You know? And Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan. That's beginning in, in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell 
robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. By chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side and then a Levite came along and he saw the man who had been beaten and left for dead and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember the Jews hated the Samaritans, a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him felt compassion, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, put him on, the, on his beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Made arrangements for the innkeeper to continue to take care of him. And in verse 36, Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus says, you go and do the same. Jesus holds forth a hated Samaritan who crosses social barriers to take care of this fallen Jew, a better keeper of the law than the lawyer who's looking to find a technical definition for neighbor, you know, so that he can know the limitations. These are your neighbors and these are not. You have an obligation to them, but not to them. The Samaritan is a better keeper of the law than you are. You go and do like he did. And no doubt that was shocking to the person who, who heard that. You've heard that it was said. Well, where, where do you get that? Well, it's just a common, ordinary human response to people who rub me the wrong way or do some injury or slight to me. I, I just hate them. You know? No, you got, you got to do better than that. And so Jesus goes on and says, but I say to you, you know, in, in Greek, just like in English, uh, there's a way to, to emphasize just by the terms used and the way they're arranged to, 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 to give emphasis to a statement. That's what you find in this passage with the word I. But I say to you, you've heard that it was said, but this is what I'm saying to you. It's really the key feature in the passage, isn't it? Beginning all the way back in Matthew chapter 5 and that's uh, verse 21. You've heard that it was said this, but, but I'm, I want you to know this is what I'm telling you to do. It doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter where you may have heard what was being said. What matters is what Christ says. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, it matters what Christ says. doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what the rabbis say or the lawyers say. It matters what Christ says. And Christ says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself, even your enemies. Now, why is Jesus' word more authoritative than others? Is it because it was better than others? Is it because, is it because his teaching is new and unprecedented? Well, maybe. But that's not really why it's more authoritative. It's more authoritative because of who He is. And so it's because He is the Son of God. You remember the Lord's words, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. This is my Son. You listen to Him. And so that's why the teaching of Jesus is more authoritative than others, because Jesus is the Son of God, and as the Son of God, He has the right to say, but I say to you, and we're obligated then to listen and to follow. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 11, 
where Jesus says in verse 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, usually when we talk of that passage, we emphasize the latter part of it. Those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, I'll, I'll give you rest. But we need to give due emphasis to the first part as well. I have a special relationship with the Father. No one knows the Father like the Son does. No one knows the Son like the Father does. Therefore, you come to me. If you want rest, if you want peace, I can give it to you because I am the Son, the Son of God. So what does Jesus say here in Matthew chapter 5 about love? It's the very opposite of the common, popular, natural human response. As Jesus' teaching often is. Jesus says, if you're assaulted and someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other also. That's the very opposite response. You know, human response is, you know, clench your fist and get ready to, to you know, to respond in, in kind. Jesus' teaching is often the opposite. We become great by serving. Very opposite of what the world thinks. We become great by dominating and intimidating. But Jesus says, no, you become great in my kingdom by serving. Matthew 20 and verse 26. You know, if my brother sins against me, how, how often should I forgive him? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. Jesus teaches an unlimited forgiveness. And Jesus says, love your enemies. The plural would suggest all, all enemies, wouldn't it? Love your enemies, not just your enemy, as if we could be selective in who we love and who we don't, but love your enemies. Love all your enemies, your personal enemies, your political enemies, your religious enemies. Love all of them and pray for them. It's hard to harbor hatred in your heart while you pray for others. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 says, Do them good and bless them. And so we're called to do the uncommon, the divine, as disciples of Jesus. Jesus says you need to do this so that you might be sons of your Father who is in heaven. To be the son of means to be similar to. If we're to be sons of God, we must be like God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 speaks to this point. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We've talked about this in the recent past. The, the seed of God is in us. We've, the, the genetics of God is in us, or are in us if we're children of God. We, we are to be like Him. You know, so this helps us understand what love is. What is love? Is it an emotional feeling that we have toward others? Well, it might include that, I suppose. But love is seen in action, and love is seen especially in the actions of God. And we can see that here in this passage. What is it that we're required to do, as Jesus tells us, to love not only our neighbor, but our enemy? Well, look at what God does. God sets the example for us. He sets the standard for us. And so what does He do? Well, He makes His sunshine on the evil and the good. And so God is blessing even the evil. 
He's doing good even to the evil. Now, he doesn't approve of their works, of course, but he does good to them. He sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous, or the just and the unjust. The Lord superintends over the natural world so that everybody benefits. Everybody benefits from God's goodness. In Acts chapter 14, Paul is in Lystra, and he says in verse 16, in, in uh, the generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You are idolaters going your own way, but God still did good to you. And Jesus uses that as an illustration of God's love for all men. But God's love is especially seen in the gift of His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's clear that God loves even His enemies, even those who don't love Him. In fact, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. That's the manifestation of God's love for us. He blesses all people with material gifts and provides them with opportunities to be reconciled to Him. So love is a call to action. It's not simply an attitude. It's not simply a frame of mind. It certainly isn't simply an emotion. It's a call to action. God loves the just and the unjust. How do you know that? Because He blesses them with the rain. God loves the evil and the good. How do you know that? Because of His actions. Love is a call to action. And so we must act in a loving way toward all peoples, friends and enemies alike. And then the standard accepted by the world is not sufficient. We've suggested this already. We must do more. Jesus says in verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And, you know, tax collectors are not very well thought of. They're sort of, uh, you know, lower ranks in society. Well, you know, you're not doing any better than the lower ranks of society. He goes on to say, uh, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles the same? The world standard, even among dishonorable people, is to treat others as they treat you. If they're good to you, you be good to them. But if they harm you in some way, you have every right to harm them in return. If you were to deal with somebody in the mafia and you were good to them, well, they'd be good to you. Now, if you hurt them, they're going to hurt you real bad. Even the mafia does that. You know, that's kind of the idea. If you just love those who love you, if you're good to those who are good to you, you're not doing anything better than the mafia does. But God's standard is higher. He calls us to a higher plane. And so we must love and be perfect in our love as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect denotes completeness. Or how about inclusiveness? For a contemporary word, God is inclusive in His love. He loves all people. Now this suggests that we can love a person and not approve of their behavior. Now God doesn't approve of the behavior of all people. We understand that. It's not hard for us to understand. He loves righteousness and hates iniquity, and yet He loves even the sinner. We can, we can love a person and yet disapprove, maybe even strongly disapprove of their actions. 
And we can love a person and even administer discipline. Every parent knows that. Every good parent knows that. Why do you discipline your children? Well, I love them. I want them to understand and learn appropriate behavior. I want them to avoid dangerous situations. And so, and so I have to discipline them and reinforce the teaching that I, that I give them. Remember Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. And so we can love a person and yet not approve of their behavior. We can love a person and yet discipline them. In fact, it's because we love a person that we do discipline them. But the standard is God's love. Does God love one race and not another? No, that's not true. Does God love one nationality and not another? No, that's not true of God's love. Does God love one economic level and not another? Maybe He loves the rich and not the poor. Maybe He loves the poor and not the rich. You know, no, now that, neither one of those is true. Does God love one educational level and not another? Does God love the righteous and not the sinner? No, He loves both. And so, it's a pretty high standard, isn't it? That we love one another as God has loved us. His love is the standard. There are a lot of people in the world trying hard to create a place where love for all people prevails. A lot of people out there trying to accomplish that. Politicians and artists and activists, everyday people. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to tell them there is already a place, it already exists, where love for all people prevails. The things that divide us in the world, in this place, they, they're, they're overcome by the love that binds them together. Wouldn't it be great to send that message out to the world? Well, I hope there is such a place, and that is in the church of Jesus Christ, where love for all people prevails, regardless of race, economic status, nationality, political interests, because the bond that unites is greater than those things that divide others. And the bond is Christ. And that enables us to love one another just as God loves others as well. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, Let all things you do be done in love. Let all things you do be done in love. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together today and to study from your word. Father, we understand that we live in a dark place, that the hearts of, of some are filled with hatred. But Father, we pray that our hearts will be filled with love, that we will love not only our neighbors, but our enemies as well, and that our love will be as perfect and complete and inclusive as our Father's love is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're ready to become a Christian, a disciple of Jesus. We encourage you 